can he be successful enough to kind of rip that job from uh, from Latroy Hawkins' cold, dead hands? I really liked that acquisition. I think that he's going to shock some folks. Very interested in Shane Green. There must be like somebody's boss that watches these games through Twitter because damn it, these tweets are out of control this spring. Given the that Tim Federovich or whatever is his backup. By the way, I got to give you credit on Federovich. I know you. I've heard you talk. I do listen to the <laughs> podcast. I've heard you talk about having player pronunciation issues. Welcome to episode 215 of The Sleeper in the Bus. It's your Thursday edition. I am Paul Spohr, joined as always on Thursdays by Mr. Eno Saris. Eno, good day to you. Take two. Take two. You know, call graphs, <laughs> every once in a while it'll get you. I, I'm sitting here looking at a notification that pops up when it's recording. And it's staying there and it's staying there. And then, you know, we're, what, 15 minutes, 15, 20 minutes in. And I'm like, let me see why this is staying up here. It's because the program was freezing and, and killing itself and not recording our first run through. So we got started. We got to recreate the magic. Let's, let's, let's just say everything that we just said verbatim. Just remember it <laughs> off the cuff. Don't worry. We're going to talk some news. We're going to several games today that we're going to talk about. But I will still go with the, what we talked about at the outset uh, of take one. Uh, I no longer just heard um, a, a bottle opening, but maybe 25 <laughs> minutes ago I heard a bottle opening, and I'm wondering, or now that I know the answer, but I know that's a beer. I just want you to tell me what kind of beer you're enjoying this fine afternoon. Well, I, I'm, I'm sorry that you're not a, a big craft beer aficionado, but one of our readers is, and he lives in Vermont, or he lives near Vermont and was has access to Vermont beer and sent me um, an amazing little four pack that was cold when it arrived, which is something that's, that's never really happened. impressive. He put, he put some like he put a little ice pack in there, and so I got a cold four pack with uh, one of them is Heady Topper, which is Beer Graph's number one beer, and then one is um, Second Fiddle, I think is uh, is a beer I don't know much about, but somebody says it's the best in Vermont, which would be amazing because Vermont is one of the top beer states, and then the other one is. Sip of Sunshine, which is one I'm having right now from Lawson's, and it's amazing. It's it's a clear yellow color, really nice floral um, uh, nose, and just a really great IPA. One of the best I've ever had. I'm really enjoying it. Um, but uh, I'm just rewarding myself. My my wife was sick last night. I came back from basketball, and I'm usually just totally tattered after basketball. And yesterday. Uh, I was amazing for two games and total crap for two games. So I was kind of totally tired, a little bit, you know, down myself, a little bit proud of myself. And then I had to totally take care of the, the kids last night. So yeah, I'm rewarding myself today. I'm going to have a little bit of an early beer and uh, and talk some baseball because I had two games on and uh, there was a bunch of baseball today and, and we're finally in the season and it's 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 fun. well deserved. It's well deserved for you to have a beer because not only have you been trying to run full court, take care of the children, take care of the wife, but you're also going to stadiums, talking to players, doing your job, doing your work. I mean, for you to have the work schedule you do as well as the, the you know, uh, social life, personal life schedule that you do. I'm, I'm very impressed. So, yes, you, you enjoy that beer and very, very, you know, that's an 80-grade 80, 80 uh, delivery there to, to have the beer arrive <laughs> beer cold and to be the number one beer on your created beer graph site. I mean, that's, that's impressive. 
I just I, I, I can't yeah. I can't get around how impressive that is. That's very nice. Uh, well, we, as you mentioned, there's been a lot of baseball today, so we are going to talk some of it. We're going to talk some injuries uh, and, and other news tidbits. Then. Uh, mention what we saw today today including that uh, uh, major JD. bomb by jd freaking <laughs> martinez baby god he's been on fire gibson man sorry gibby you gotta take that one on the chin i know i know that's hurting me in a couple spots for sure tigers up now 6-0 on kyle gibson among the games that we will talk about after that jd martinez two-run homer a lot of great games today they started at 11:30 my time which i think is 9:30 your time which is insane and an awesome thing sometimes although i like staying up later so i almost i prefer i'd almost prefer to be on the east coast for that standpoint so that the late games uh would run even later uh but yeah it's going to be uh, all day affair with baseball as far as I'm concerned, although there are no late games. Uh, the latest ones start at six my time. But let's talk news first uh, before we get into the games. Michael Brantley missed his second straight game with a back. Uh, you know, they don't say anything too detailed about how, you know, freaked out we should get, how, the severity of it. They're just putting him out with a back right now. doesn't look like it's something that's going to push him too much further you know I, I don't foresee a huge dl stint coming but scratched from stiffness twice does this bother you at all i mean what bothers me is that it's a back and that the back is sort of all-encompassing and you can't you know dh you know you can't you can't do one part of your job and 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 you know take the rest mm -hmm. off so you know that, that's a big deal but at 27 it's hard and and not remembering, you know, and not seeing anything, you know, on his cards about having this problem in the past. I just, I can't think that it's going to, you know, hurt him all season. But, um, you know, I think maybe this would be the first time we do see a mention of it on his card. And then maybe next year there's some stuff. And then, you know, eventually we, you know, you know, that's, that's what becomes a deal for him in his old age. But he's 27, man. I'm not... I'm not gonna, uh, you know, put him out to pasture because he's got a, something about his back on the on on the an injury yeah, report. Yeah, I, I completely agree. It'd be, it'd be too early for panic. As I've mentioned, they they have not suggested in any way, shape, or form that this is going to be some long-term major deal. Just a couple of scratches, you know. Frankly, against a ball club that they probably felt, you know, we can handle. If we're going to miss one of our main cogs. It should be it should be now, you know, frankly, and they almost no hit them uh, with without Michael Brantley. Uh, it came down to the final inning. Uh, Jed Lowry home run saved it, but it was still, you know, complete demolition Indians uh, to take the series there. Uh, so, yeah, don't don't panic, folks. Obviously, you wouldn't cut him or anything like that. But don't try to sell low. I say just ride it out. Now, a couple guys coming back from injury soon. Uh, are going to be very much needed. They're sorely missed by their club right now. That's Denard Span and Jason Worth. They're they're set for rehab assignments starting today and tomorrow, respectively. As I mentioned, the Nats desperately need these guys back. But is this a situation where you might go out and try to buy on either of them before they return? The one that uh, that really bothers me is is Spawn's injury. I mean, actually, they both bother me in different ways. Spawn's injury with the oblique. You know, it makes me think about that turn to first. That is sort of a violent turn to first, and I would say that that would that it would make me think that he wouldn't take off for for second as many times. But it's the same movement that you have when you're when you're swinging a bat. So if he can swing a bat, then his oblique must be good enough to make that turn to second. So I would say that there's nothing, I guess, uh, more worrisome than the fact that he's a year older and that stolen bases age so poorly. But um, you know, a couple of names come to mind. You know, somebody asked me, Adam Eaton, 
or Denard spot. And with the injury and the time off and the fact that Eaton's so much younger, I, I had I didn't hesitate at all with Adam Eaton. But you know, a guy like Michael Bourne yeah. uh, versus that uh, one's close. I'm with you. Eaton is a is a no hesitation, and I really like Span coming into the season, but. No hesitation for me with Eaton there when you compare those two. But when you get to Bourne, it's a little bit closer at that point. I think I would still go with with Spam because even if I draft him, I don't plan on him to be a major contingent of of the stolen bases. I know that's a piece of his game, and it drove a big part of his value last year. But for me, uh, you know, being the age that he is at age 31 – I don't think you can start keep betting on 30, 30 uh, stolen bases. Plus, he kept going up 17, 20, 31 these last three seasons. I just don't think that that's going to hold really. So I'm only, I was only planning on him for somewhere in that 17 to 20 range. I feel like I can make those up, but I think his hitting is much better than Bourne's. And I don't think Bourne's going to come back. Even if he comes back healthy and plays a bunch, I still I don't think he's going to get back to his elite base stealing days. So when when you factor it like that, I would take Span over Bourne. Yeah, I think the batting average uh, splits the difference. Yeah, because Bourne is more of a two seventy guy. Span's you know proven to be a two ninety mm-hmm. guy or so. So now Worth um, has the shoulder, and and I think that bothers you more because we've talked about it in the past, and uh, you pro- you have some pause on him. Uh, what why why so much? Is it because of his age as well, or just the fact that shoulders are, are scary when, especially when it comes to power hitting? Well, you know, I just did the the interview with uh, the, the interview with Shinsu Chu, and I, I published that um, today. And you know, it, it's funny because and he bombed for you. <laughs> Yeah, he did. He he uh, he went he went he went yard. But you know, one of our readers said, you know, I'm glad you post. One of our listeners said, I'm glad you post this despite your reservations, <laughs> uh, because I found, you know, I did listen to it and, and you know just to listen, you know, and then you know see if I could get something out of it. And I found something out of it, which is he talked about his injuries and what it's like to play hurt and the fact that you know, people are going to hate your numbers and, and yell about you either way. So he'd rather that they, you know, yelled about his numbers while he was in the lineup than yell about how he got hurt all the time. Oh, wow. That's really so interesting. He, yeah. So he kind of chose, he chose, he said, you know, bad numbers are bad numbers. I don't care. Uh, but, um, you know, I don't want them to yell about me not being in the lineup. So he, he said he tried to be in the lineup as long as he could. And then at some point it just became too much and, and he took off. But I mean, he really made it, he made it into almost into September. Mm-hmm. So, and then he had double surgeries. But any case, he had surgeries on things. Uh, well, the ankle surgery he had doesn't make a big deal. So it looks like ankle, back, and I, I quoted some stuff in that piece. Jeff Zimmerman had actually broke out uh, the problems that the, the how bad each uh, type of injury can be for you in terms of your uh, age-adjusted OPS. Okay. So, um, so if you have a groin, abdomen foot, back, or ankle injury, there's basically, there's little or no effect, and even sometimes a positive effect um, the year after your okay. injury. So once your health. I think the, the idea is, look at David Wright. He's had oblique injuries in his bad years, and then he gets the oblique right, and then he has a good year the next year. It happens, it, it's almost like clockwork. <laughs> He's done this like times or And then uh, you think about groin injuries, they're a big deal in the season in which you have the groin injury. But if you give a groin injury like two year, uh, two months to, to heal, then you're you're good and you're probably back to where you were before. So th- that's uh, that that's the sort of stuff that um, you know that can happen. Ankle uh, and, and then back. I think these things solve themselves by you know time mm-hmm. off. 
that makes sense. Uh, but the the ones that did not help, uh, the ones that 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 you still even after getting right, you were still hurt the next year were elbow, neck, wrist, arm, head, shoulder. So head, I think, is a different class because that's concussions, Absolutely. and you got Justin more nose and the um, the you know the Jason Larue's the guys that you know the guys that concuss their way out of the game, and you can't play around with that. And the more often you have a head injury, the more often you get more. So a head is a different thing, but shoulder, arm, wrist, neck, elbow—that's all upper body um, swing stuff. And I think either maybe you get off kilter in your swing. Or there's some remnant of there, or there's weakness. You know, Nietzsche said, "Whatever doesn't kill you makes you stronger." But he was totally wrong when it comes to uh, baseball because whatever doesn't kill you makes you weaker. I mean, you, you, whatever whatever injury you have, you're sort of weaker in that area going forward. So, um, you know, so he, the shoulder is in there with arm, wrist, um, and elbow injuries. One of the reasons I wasn't, I don't have any shares of Alex Gordon this year is that it was a wrist injury. Uh, yeah, so. I was worried about it too, and I love Alex Gordon because I always find him to be. Um, pretty much at a value. I, I feel like he, he doesn't go for the price that he should often. So I usually like to roster him and I, I didn't get yeah. him anywhere this year because I just, I was scared off by that injury. hundred percent. Yeah. I don't know. If you look at, and you look at Worth's career early on, he was a guy who struck out 24% of the time um, and, and uh, had some platoon issues against righties. Um, and if those things, you know, the kind of bell curve of the career, suggests that those things are going to come back at some point and, and at some point soon. I mean, he's, what is he now? He's 35, 36, 36 now. Yeah. See, that's the, that's the yeah. thing. He came back from the wrist, uh, which was, you know, kind of a surprise in itself that he came back so strong once the wrist was healed at age 34 in that 2013 season. Uh, and then kind of, you know, he was good, very good last year too. worth uh, another great season for him, but the power was down and now 36 coming off a shoulder though. And, and it's not like the, it's not like these are the first two injuries of his career. In fact, his career took so long to blossom because of injuries. He wasn't really uh, an everyday player until uh, getting with the Phillies, which was 20, 2007. And then 2008 was his first really full, full year, 480, yep. 482 plate appearances. Yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he's been he's been a late bloomer. He's 35 now, and you just don't know how quickly it's going to fall off the table. I feel like I've had some arguments with this with people in the past, but I just to me a late bloomer suggests that he had to be closer to his peak to be relevant in the big yeah, leagues. Yeah, that's a good call. And so, and so therefore uh, everyone falls off their peak, and so then he's going to fall off his peak at some point, and then he's not going to be relevant in the big leagues again. It's the Ryan Ludwig uh, proposition for me, Ooh. but. Um, I like I like how you how you identify that. Yeah, but in one case, um, you know, I, I have a, a deal out there on the table. Uh, it's an OPS league, um, and it's a twelve teamer, longest longest term league I've had. It's a dynasty league, and I've got an offer on the table. I'm just staring a hole into, which is my Matt Carpenter and uh, Jason Worth, who's on the DL. Um, uh, for for his Will Myers, and this comes from last week when I said, you know, I wish I, or from la from Tuesday when I said that I wish I had a share of Will Myers. I have no shares, and um, just to give background, Worth is on my DL. If he comes off the DL, I have to drop Yasmani Grandal, who's my backup to Posey, um, and Carpenter is sometimes utilities, mostly bench uh, for me because I have Wright 
and, and another guy in utility. I forget who right now. So uh, these are fringe guys in my league a little bit, and I'm just looking for like a, if 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 you think, and this is my question to you, if you think Will Myers is going to be better than Jason Worth going forward this year. Uh, then it's a good deal for me, and I should not cancel the deal that I keep looking at every day. I, I think that's closer than you do, but that's a, a mixture of me being lower on Myers than you and higher on Worth. So from my perspective, it's a little bit different. But even with that, given – so so the, the, actually this is steeped in the fact that you believe in, in a Myers potential breakout, like a pretty big one too. Um, so I feel like – Given that, and given that it's twelve teamer with Carpenter being a bench guy, you can go out on the wire and probably find, you can replicate uh, pretty well Carpenter's production because he doesn't hit for a lot of power. He's a, you know a solid guy, plays a lot, uh, that sort of stuff. But he's not he's not a huge asset. I think you can go on the wire, especially with you particularly. Um, you know, as, as a not, what's that? Not need position. I wouldn't need the position, so I could look for a first base. Exactly. That. You can- OPS you do whatever you want and you can you can crush that OPS level of his. So then if you uh, and then like you said you're doing Worth versus Myers, it's close enough for me that the fact that you actually really believe in Myers, I say yes, absolutely. I would I would do that because if it was me and I was chasing a guy who is maybe Avisel Garcia, maybe Garcia and Myers are pretty close for me um and and I'm more I'm a pretty huge Garcia guy whereas you're a big Myers guy. Not that you're an anti-Garcia. I'm no. I'm comparing after the trade after the trade, my right fielders would be Avisel Garcia. And yeah, Myers. exactly. I, I, I'm not suggesting at all <laughs> that you don't love him. I'm saying that he's my Will yeah, Myers yeah. in that I, I really just – I fully believe. I, I'm a big fan. So uh, based on that, I, I would I would make the deal. I would, I would leave it out there, I should say, because it's an enticing enough offer. And frankly, if I was you know going through my, my trades there – uh, that one definitely would catch my eye, and I'd be very interested in accepting it. So I'd be surprised unless the guy is just – your trade partner is huge on Myers and just says, no way. I got to see this through. I'd be surprised if that doesn't get accepted because I think it's a really fair deal on both ends. Um, and then the situation that you're in and, and, of course, you're thinking on the on the particular players makes it a slam dunk for me to leave up there. Yeah, and also I'm thinking about this long term, which is that like – you know, we don't have the biggest lineup. We don't have five outfielders. We don't have an MI. So, you know, really, this league is about consolidating and getting the best talent everywhere. So, for me, having Garcia and Myers going into the season means that I probably will come out of the season with a right fielder I really mm-hmm. love. Bingo. Because um, I like them for different reasons. And anyway, so that that's uh, that's enough about those two. But I, you can't drop either unless you know Adam Eaton is out there. But you know, you got spawn on your DL. Just keep him on your DL as long as possible. Yeah, absolutely. You got to, you got to hang on, see this through. Uh, other news, probably not as impactful across the league because I doubt he's super rostered. But Ricky Nolasco going to have an MRI on his elbow after getting absolutely crushed by the Tigers. It did not look good. Uh, you know. Matt Latos wasn't quite making fun of it, but it was not a good outing for for Nolasco. I. I expected better from him this year. I thought he was. I thought he would come off uh, last year's season and, and, and rebound closer to his his averages there because that was a pretty big outlier of an awful season. Uh, still wasn't somebody I was necessarily targeting a, at all. And just because he had a three run six or, or excuse me three inning six run run outing doesn't mean that he won't be good this year. But the fact that there's an injury scare involved and might have explained why he got killed so much, that's the worrisome part for me regarding Nolasco. What's your take? Well, Nolasco had a little bit of a, a, a strikeout uh, increase in the spring, 
but you know and some people's you know some people are really just like don't look at anything for the spring i'm i'm a little bit more in between in that strikeouts are a really good thing to look in small samples whiff rates would be better if we had sure. them but you know strikeouts are the best thing to look in in small samples uh for batters or or pitchers really and you know you know even though it's spring i think that I think people overstate the difference uh, between spring and say September. September, you know, you have some in, you know, you have some weird uh, competition issues where there are some minor leaguers involved. But for the most part, you still have major leaguers playing against major leaguers. And actually, I find that in the spring, you for the most part, you actually have major leaguers against major leaguers because, you know, the the minor leaguers come on in the second half. Of the exactly. Game. The, the the only part where you would be, be careful uh, is if it's some guy who could be is like vying to be the 25th guy. So he might have been playing against a lot of those minor leaguers. But when you're talking about established guys, it's like first four innings for the starting nines and then they both leave. So I, it it is weird. But I do like that baseball reference kind of has that meter. They do, they try to really gauge the opponents that people engaged with in the uh um, in spring training. And I think they do a pretty good job of it. So if you see some big numbers that you might be intrigued by, and then the guy has a, a seven rating, I think that puts him at the equivalent of double a competition. But if somebody's doing some big numbers up against, up against like a nine and a half, well, 10 is major league and eight is triple a. So that's right there. Uh, you know, pretty well grouped suggesting that they played some good major league talent. Yeah. And, and, and just like by looking at strikeouts, you're kind of just focusing on the easiest thing to look at. Anyway, with, but at the same time, I'm not going to take something with for a veteran like Nolasco and say, oh, my God, Nolasco is going to have a great season because he had a, a good spring. <laughs> um, I, I was much more interested in, say, uh, Pomerantz and McAllister, the big um, the guys who got the most uh, boost in their canines in the spring. Um, you know, versus in Alaska because McAllister and Pomerantz are younger guys that are, you know, figuring out their pitch mix and, and, and changing things and coming into roles. So, uh, you know, that's what I, I, I didn't, that's all I have to add about Alaska is that he, he had a decent spring from that perspective. I didn't really care that much. I do own him in AL labor, but only cause Stroman went down. And I didn't want to pay $12 for Erasmo Ramirez. <laughs> I don't blame you. Um, I know, though. Now I'm a little sad because Nate Carnes came out, and his curveball looks sexy time. But the rest of his, uh, his, the rest of his Poop. over his, his arsenal is just no good. I mean, he's he doesn't really have good command. And it's hard for him to get ahead, so he can use the curveball. Yeah, and then was... he didn't use the change very much, and it just it fell apart so quickly. And now I'm worried that Erasmo is ahead of Carnes, and when Smiley comes back that it's going to be Carnes that goes down, and then I should have paid $12 for Erasmo instead of Nolasco because I'm going to have to go back out there and look for another that, starter this year. This I would say don't panic just yet. First off, I'm not – I hear you on Carnes but because I expected a little bit more out of the fastball, but it's very – you know, it's one start. Um, I just – I'm not sold that, that Erasmo is, is going to be that good. I'm still – I'm I'm really more in the wait and see phase right now. I, I bought in for a couple of years. I know he's still super young, so I'm definitely not on the full out. But I'm gonna say, don't automatically think that he's gonna just go out there and, and mop the floor with Carnes just because Carnes gave a little bit of an opening. That's all. That's all I'm saying. Well, I don't even think I don't even think Erasmo Ramirez is that young anymore. 25. Oh, he's 24. Yeah, I mean, well, I, his age 25 season. Uh, 
for me, yeah. you're saying the actual age. I always just say the age season that they're in. So if there's any confusion <laughs> as to why people are like, why are Paul and Eno a year off so often? I just say, because I look at baseball reference, I'm like, oh, they were age 24 last year. They're in their age 25 season. So, But he's technically just still 24. Either way, still young. Yeah, uh, it, it would never be one 23 days changes. 25, yeah, it so. would never be a situation where we would where I would say one year uh, as a guy who's young and you'd say one one year plus and all of a sudden call him old. You know, it's, it's never like, oh, he's, no, he's, he's pretty young at 24. No, nah, man, he's super old at eight. This is the age 25 season. So there's probably no need to cl- clarify there. But anyway, with Nolasco, you know. You got him in AO only leagues like you have. So obviously you have to wait and see if there's going to come anything of it. But um, I don't think you, – you don't have the option in labor to bench him if, unless he's injured, right? Yeah. Um, so I'm actually probably hoping for a DL slot so that I can either stash him or, or figure out what's going on. But Yeah, I don't blame you because that, that would be – you know, it would be tough to have to watch a, a next start potentially without having – But you know out. what? It's not like Detroit's a bad offense, no. man. It's like that's the same thing I was thinking about Toronto though too with Tanaka. And I'm not saying Tanaka and Alaska are the same, but I think it was just a lot right. of confirmation bias with Tanaka when it came in. You know, we came into the season with a collective worry. He wasn't very good against one of the top three, at the very worst, three offenses in the league. What you know? Is it really that surprising? So yeah, even though Alaska got shelled and he's going for an MRI. Are we really surprised that he got smashed by Detroit here? Let's probably got to see a few more starts. I just, if there is an injury potential, I wouldn't want to have to sit through another start with that hanging over it for Nolasco. You know, like Gibson for me in an AL only league is still a play, you know, even though he, he got shelled today by the Tigers, yeah. uh, you know, he he threw enough. He threw a, a he had actually had a, he threw a change up that had uh, Miguel Cabrera so far out in front that he, Almost connected with the ball like in the field of with, play with the cup, with the yeah, cup of the, the bat, so far out in front. And he so. threw some. I mean, he threw some good pitches. He just couldn't rein them in. It was the Trevor Bauer situation without the strikeouts. You know, a lot, a lot of yeah. his, so he he couldn't command the good stuff in the zone. So he had to throw the garbage in the zone. I mean, this is something that you see with young pitchers literally all the time. I mean, it, it, it's yeah. And and the flip side is. We loved Green to death. Um, well, we we still love Green to death. But, you know, he, he was pitching against uh, Minnesota, and uh, he threw some great change-ups today. But one of the change-ups he threw that was so awesome was to Danny Santana. And Danny Santana probably is going to make some change-ups look good that's, this year. <laughs> that's a good point. Uh, yeah, I absolutely <laughs> still love Green. He's gone out there and, and been great through five and a third, just three hits, four strikeouts. But, yeah, you don't all of a sudden – greatly change your opinion one way or the other based on the fact that it's against Minnesota. So if you were down on him um, and and maybe you have your reasons, uh, listener, and you still, uh, you're not going to be sold on this necessarily just because of this start for Shane Green. Meanwhile, if you're high on him, like we were, I love the guy. I'm not going to go start pounding my chest because of a start against Minnesota for Shane Green. I'm just glad he's going out there and and dealing though, especially after like a four hour rain delay. I would say, that um, I guess he was, you know, for some people, not, I don't think for me, I don't, let me see if my, what my pitch rank said. <laughs> let me check let me my check own check myself before uh, I. Yeah, but uh, uh, I, I would say that for me, he was, he was a great uh, mixed league uh, final pitcher. 
Uh, yeah, I had him 68. So, yeah, that's perfect. You know, him, Bauer, Carlos Martinez, Chase Anderson, those were my guys, and Taiwan Walker. Those were the guys that I would love to have as my final pitcher in a mixed oh, yeah. league. I mean, 68 to 75, that's that's where you're looking for upside. Um, and your final, you know, your, your sixth pitcher in a 12-team league comes from around there. Um, I would say that Shane Green uh is is definitely a mixed leaguer and i'm getting some stuff on twitter saying you know you know should i have green in my league and you know 12 team and um you know you know who should i who should i drop or whatever um i if you are thinking about green and he's out there on the wire i mean i guess in a 10 team league maybe but even in a 10 team league i have him 68 and verlander dropped since then um you know you could put him way above cc sabathia if you would like um, you know, McCarthy had a decent start, but you know, these are guys that are listed above him. Mm-hmm. So I think he's basically ownable in all leagues. I, um, I agree. And I'm not trying to, not trying to get crazy off this one start, but he threw the changeup. He threw the changeup to lefties. He has the two breaking balls to righties. He kept the velocity. Great. Uh, he's showing good command. So, you know, I don't know. There's not really anything really missing for me from Shane I, Green. I, I completely agree. I had him. My final my final tiers that I took into my drafts, he was 58. Um, you know, the, I, I yeah. can't remember exactly what he was on the starting pitching guy tiers, but it wouldn't have been much below that. I think he moved up a little bit late for me based on injuries and things like that. And I, oh, yeah, so he, he moved up from 65 on the ones I sent out with the SP guide to 58. And that's the same tier anyway, so it's not really that big of a deal because yeah. if a guy's in a tier, you can draft him when you feel comfortable in that tier. So that's at least how I draft. So, yeah, I, I was snapping him up anywhere I could. Uh, because I really thought Shane Green had the stuff to be really successful. Uh, so I'm with you. I, d- I don't have the questions. That doesn't mean every start's going to be amazing like this, but uh, mm-hmm. it just means that you can trust him. You can you can sit through some crummy starts and not have to flip out because you feel that this he's going to be back. Uh, you know he'll he'll get his command back if it's if that's what he's missing for a game or if he only strikes out two for a game. But I, I can't. I definitely can't see that part of it with Shane Green. I feel like he'll have good strikeouts regularly because that stuff is just wicked. I, I'm really been impressed with what I've seen today. I was, I was really impressed also with, uh, uh, I was also really impressed with myself oh. for, uh, for, for telling everybody about Anthony Disclafani. Hey, yes. And we, uh, we will get to that. We got to finish <laughs> up this news and then you will get, you okay. will get your props. By the way, I was, I was praying for you because uh, as I tweeted out, you're either going to get a lot of love or a lot of hate in your feed yeah. based on one freaking start. And it reminded me of last year. Corey Kluber pitches, I think, the second game of the year after a rain delay. Kind of got knocked around, and I got all this hate about, oh, that guy, that guy you loved <laughs> sucks. And I was like, if Descalfani goes out and goes six innings, four runs, you know, four strikeouts, just kind of a blah day. Oh, thanks, thanks for nothing, you know. You'd have definitely gotten those <laughs> tweets. But instead, he went out through six two in uh, two run innings with six strikeouts and just one walk. Again, which we'll dive into more. Since we were talking about the Tigers, incidentally, uh, I know it was a tangent that made us talk about the Tigers. Let's stick with them because they have some injury news too. Uh, Joe Nathan is going on the DL with a flexor mass strain similar to that of Matt Kane, and that's going to put Joaquin Soria into the closer's role even sooner than we all thought. Because uh, yeah. I think we all really thought that that was going to happen, and frankly, you know, it, it's a bummer that it got hurt, that he got hurt, because I don't want anybody to get hurt. Oh, and yeah, yeah. you know, I, I I honestly disagree with the notion that the Tigers are better because he got hurt, uh, mainly because it's just mean spirited, but also because they need all the arms they can get, and, and 
He didn't look right. too bad in his first outing, to be honest. I know he was terrible in spring, and it carried over from last year. So he's an above replacement, you know, pitching, you know, reliever. Exactly. Arm. So, even so even if he's not down. closing, I feel like they can still utilize him, uh, even if it's in the seventh inning. But anyway, so he's going to go on the disabled list. It's going to be Soria. The, qu- the question's pretty easy. I guess it's just an opinion question, though. But do you think he takes the job and runs with it? So, uh, do you think Soria just takes the job and runs with it? You know, if he had you know, anything more than 90 mile an hour fastball velocity <laughs> or was, uh, any younger than 30, you know, uh, 31 year season. Um, I, I think I might, um, say without compunction that he, he was going to be fine because I, you know, I've loved him uh, many times and I thought he would be the closer in Texas. Right. Uh, and he, you know, didn't really, it didn't really work out that way. Um, He's obviously an injury risk, but uh, at this point, for one season, and he's healthy now, uh, you might as well go with him. The only caveat I have is that Bruce Rondon uh, could have more strikeouts and more velocity, which is something I've seen linked to closer change. So I think that Bruce Rondon is the only asterisk. I don't think there's really – I don't think Al Albuquerque is an asterisk. Not anymore. I don't think – yeah, I don't think – I mean, they've they've had the opportunity to go to Al Albuquerque a ton. And they've had the opportunity to give Jabba Chamberlain the role a ton. Tom Gorzlani's a lefty, and he's a soft tosser. There's really no no reason to worry about him or Kroll. So really, the only thing that could change things is Rondon. He's got to get healthy. Rondon is the only guy who's who's projected to have both more velocity and more strikeouts than Joaquin Soria. I, I, I couldn't agree more. But, but Rondon has to get healthy, though. And they might, yeah. you know, if there's honestly, if they're smart, I think it's a situation that they might be better to keep Rondon for that seventh, eighth fireman type because, as we've seen, sometimes those are the stickiest situations. And why not? The batons. Yeah, cool. why not have your absolute best reliever there? And I think when healthy, he is their absolute best reliever. And then it's not like you're having a scrub in Soria close it out. Uh, if, you know, and if anything, that's a pretty big gear shift change although you know i'd prefer to go from the the slower guy to to that big heat at the end which i understand that's why a lot of those big heat closers are in there but uh, it could work out nicely but i'm with you that Rondon is the one scared to Soria, and that's why I scooped Rondon in a lot of deeper leagues, AL onlys, um, just as a stash. And I'm even holding him now. Obviously, he went on the DL, so I'm using the DL spot because I really still think he could take that job, even if Soria isn't necessarily bad. They just might say, listen, this guy's our closer of the future, and we're, we're going to go with it. So if he can get healthy in time, uh, then Bruce Rondon becomes yeah, an I'm- option. I think that's why velocity and strikeouts um, are so like catnip to to, to- – um, to managers is because you can't give up a homer. Yeah. You know, you can't give up base runners. You just need to have a guy who come out there and just blow away. You don't want away. any contact. And, and if you think about Tigers, and you think about the Tigers and think about what it's going to be like, you know, in the second half, they're going to be battling Cleveland. They may be battling the White Sox. And Soria might be fine, but he might give up a home run or he might you know, give up a couple, you know, singles in a row and, and something might happen. And, you know, Rondon might be, you might have like a 14 per nine strikeout rate. I mean, that's the kind of upside Agreed. he has. Agreed 100%. And, you know, if you've got a guy breathing, you know, fire and, and throwing 14 strikeouts per nine and, 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 you know, just, you know, everyone's talking about him, then I think, you you know, as a manager, you're probably likely to put him in the role and and uh, and, and, and say, hey, Soria's good. We want him in the Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so I, I, I could definitely see that happening. As far as going out and getting Soria, first off, don't assume that he's owned, 
but there's a good chance that he is because in ESPN leagues, and I cite them because they cater to 10 teams as their standard. So if they got a higher uh, or you know decent ownership percentage there, they're probably not available in in, in anything that's deeper than that. So uh, he's 27% on there, which means he's still available in a lot of 10 teamers. But once you get beyond that, there's probably a good chance that he's not there anymore. Obviously, AL only keep dreaming, but deep mixers probably got to keep dreaming. 12 teamers, you're kind of on the cusp, but make sure you check. And of course, you 10 teamers check as well because there's still uh, three three fourths, <laughs> three fourths of you who could probably get them in a 10 teamer, especially if it's at ESPN. But uh, yeah, I would pay pretty handsomely here. Because I really think he's got a chance to to notch a handful. Because yeah. even if Rondon takes it, I don't think that's going to be happening in the in the very near future, which I would say is April and May. So even if you only get two months, the Tigers are a great team. I think they're going to be piling up Ws. You know, you can get 15 saves in two months of work. So I, I would, like I said, I would pay a handsome price for that. Even on a hundred dollar budget, I'd probably pay upwards of 25 bucks. If, if I needed if I needed yeah, the saves, not if it was a luxury item, but if I'm if I was desperate, right. I knew I was going to be the one trolling the wire for saves all year, uh, and I missed out on Grilly or something. Go hard here because this is going to be a closer, I think. Yeah, well, there's some weekly leagues where you know Grilly might still be in play, and it's Grilly or Saria. I put Grilly ahead Agreed. of him because there's no threat uh, for me behind behind Grilly. Jim Johnson, Grilly, yeah, and uh, and, um, and and I think you know Grilly went for thirty in one of my leagues. Um, that was a, that, I don't know if it was weekly. Yeah, I think, yeah, it was a weekly, it was a weekly. So, you know, that's, you know, somebody trying to buy a, a closer for the year. So yeah, I think 20, 20 to 30, you know, is good. You know, when you're looking at like a Chris Hatcher or even a, um, uh, Castro. Miguel Castro, uh, yeah, Miguel that's, our, Castro. that's our next piece of news, by the way. Let's just loop that in there perfectly. Yeah. Uh, Brett Cecil already has lost the job. He is not going to close right now. Um, it, Miguel Castro's in line to get those saves. So yeah, let's talk about all three of those. Grilly, uh, Joaquin Soria, and then Miguel Castro, a young 20-year-old prospect who was a starting prospect, but who they would let make the club out of the bullpen because he was just so dang electric. You know, you have to think that it's on some level they just decided that they didn't think that their third pitch or whatever was, or that they were going to be starters. And I think Castro has a decent three pitches, but maybe there's an, a question of how long he can last in the games and, and how many innings he sure. can do. And Osuna, the, the, there's a major question. The other young guy in the Toronto pen, there's a major question about his changeup. So maybe they just thought, you know, this is our time. This is now. And, we and they've need, got the bullets, the you know. Instead of trading those two yeah. in a deal for Papelbon, why not just use both of them? I liked it. I thought it was a real gutsy, uh, aggressive move, and I liked it. Yeah, I mean, it may hurt them in the long term in terms of one of them might not turn out to be a starter, but um, they've now got a closer when Cecil's throwing 88, uh, and they now have a closer in Miguel Castro, so that's that's good news for them. And uh, But, you know, given the fact that Osuna is there and given the fact that Cecil was throwing in the cold and it was early on, and I don't remember this, I don't remember it being this drastic. I don't remember them, anyone talking about him throwing 88 in the spring. No, no, nothing like that. So either he's injured, uh, they didn't put him in the injury, though. They just changed him out of the role. So, um, you know, there, I think there's still a chance that Cecil comes back. So, you know, if I were to rank these guys, you know, for pickups or whatever, you know, Grilly's a clear number one. He's uh, He went for 30. I, I can see it. I didn't do it. But, you know, you could do a 30% of your budget type deal. Saria is the next guy because he's a, a veteran on a good team and, you know, as much as we like Rondon, 
I think he's like a 25% guy, $25 type, you know, free agency acquisition. And then um, Castro, you know, he's got Ozuna and he's got Cecil there. I'm, you know, I'll put Castro ahead of Cecil, but I'm not putting any of them really over $10. I don't think, I mean, I, 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 I would put them all in this sort of seven, eight, nine range where it's like, could be one of your biggest pickups of the year or could be a dropper next week. So um, I think Ozuna is probably like a $2 guy. And I think he might be worth it just because he's, you know, if Cecil is hurt, then Ozuna is the next guy in line. No, that, and, that, that, and Castro and Ozuna are such wild cards, you don't really know what's going on there at all. That's a great call because, yeah, everyone's going to be putting their dollars on Castro and just slide in there and get Ozuna because you never know. And Castro's so young. Who even knows? Um, and then, yeah, if Cecil is just hurt, maybe then they are going to put him down. And uh, for a little bit, put him, put him down. down. Yeah, they're gonna murder him. Uh, they're gonna <laughs> euthanize Brett Cecil. That's what you get for going under 90 with your velocity in today's game. It's a tough game, but hey, that's just one of the new pace of play rules. If you can't, if you can't throw the ball fast enough to keep the game going, you're done. You're toast. Uh, no, if they if they put him on the DL with an injury of some sort, then then Castro could even be temporary at that point too. So it's a bummer because I really liked Cecil, and like you said, I never heard anything about. A sub 90 fastball uh so that's that's the big concern there keep an eye on that and that will determine so if you don't make bids until this weekend we'll probably get a little bit more clarity on cecil so let that be a driver into how much you go but if people are going to go nuts for castro and you don't need the saves you're not desperate then then do that little cursory bid on ozuna and you might end up with the guy in the long term because we just we just have no idea about castro so that's good advice there um and then the we're Oh, no, that's it. That's, that's, that's it for the news. Sorry, I thought we had one more piece of news. That is incorrect on my part. We are now moving on to talking about some of the stuff that we saw today. I want to get some of uh, your musings, if you will, for, from, the, from what you saw out of today's game. We're going to start with the headliner, the one that was supposed to be the game of the day. And, hey, one half fulfilled his role for sure, but the other half did not come together in the Harvey Strasburg uh, duel. Harvey was brilliant for six scoreless innings, four hits, one walk, nine strikeouts. Just looked amazing. One pitch over the 90 that he was expected to get uh, to close out that sixth inning. Strasburg, you know, it started off pr- pretty ugly in his uh, against him. There was a lot of uh, BABIP bad luck. If you want to see what BABIP bad luck actually is, take a look at that third inning f- for Strasburg because there, there was some nastiness there. Yes, and then compounded by a Desmond error, his third of the year, mind you. Um, And then things just unraveled. And then from that point, though, because to that point, that was the third inning. To that point, Strasburg still looked pretty good. But then from that point on, he was a little bit uh, shaky. Just it, it wasn't as crisp at all. And then another two runs in the sixth inning saddles him with six runs, three earned uh, in just five and a third with five strikeouts, three walks and nine hits for Strasburg. So a rough opening and everyone on the Internet is still calling him overrated uh, ridiculously. But, you know, just a tough outing. I, I, I honestly I don't. I don't take too much away from this on Strasburg's end. Uh, he wasn't as crisp as he could have been once it unraveled. But to that point, I thought he was pitching perfectly well. Uh, you know, not 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 his best, but certainly nowhere near his worst. Harvey, meanwhile, was unreal. If you if you went bonkers on him in, in late in draft season, you got you feel great right now, and it's it's understandable. I, I would love to throw cold water on it, but everything we're seeing out of him since his return, spring training, and the, now this debut. It's really hard not to be super excited about uh, Matt Harvey. Yeah, I mean, I just 
I, I remember, you know, after talking to Danny Salazar, I found that um, the, the the best outcomes came for pitchers who took the most time off. So uh, that was good news for Harvey from the beginning. And then, um, you know, what I took away from the game, one of the things I took away from the game was he throwing that curveball um, like he believes That's in. Dirty. It. So, so dirty. Yeah, and he threw it um, inside to get strike three on the lefty. And, uh, you know, I thought that was something that can be very effective for him, especially because he can now throw that curveball inside to a lefty and then throw the changeup away. Mm-hmm. Uh, they won't. They won't know what to do on any level. So then he, you know, against le- and against righties, he always has the devastating slider um, and the and the big fastball. So he really now has a full, complete arsenal. He, you know, there was no debate about his command today. Um, that that seems to be left really far in the rear view mirror because there was a, a moment in the minors where people were wondering about his his uh, command, but um, that doesn't seem to be an issue anymore. So. Uh, you know, on the Strasburg side, the, the changeup didn't look so crisp today, but um, I'm not going to, you know, for a guy like him with his track record, I'm not going to look Yeah, I mean, him. he didn't have his best stuff, but it just, it, you know, no extra base hits uh, for, throughout, uh, in, in any of the nine. You know, a couple struck all right, but nothing great. There were some walks, you know, three walks and five and a third. Curtis Granderson took some great at-bats. Uh, he looks he looks really primed in that leadoff role again. Uh, really patient approach right now. And I know it's just three games with four walks, two strikeouts. And, and just a lot of long at-bats. So there's still going to be strikeouts because when you get in those long at-bats, they're going to be there. But it's not going to be like the, kind of the way he was at times uh, in Detroit So that years ago where there's a lot of three-pitch strikeouts, just too aggressive. Uh, but he, he knows what he's doing up there, uh, and he's still the best player in all of the world. Anyway, let's move on to the next game. I want one – <laughs> a, a very important one for, for your Twitter feed, as I mentioned, the, the Anthony Desclafani start. Uh, this one was originally delayed by – or no, it, it started and then got delayed. And that's, that would have been a huge bummer too because both starters were pitching pretty well. But they did come back after the uh, hour and 14-minute rain delay and both were able to get back on the horse and pitch. I mentioned Desclafani, six innings, five hits, two runs, six walks – or excuse me. Six strikeouts, one walk, and then a homer to Pedro Alvarez. Nice bomb shot there. Burnett pitch, was pitching very well, five and two-thirds, four, inning, uh, four hits, excuse me, two runs, seven strikeouts, one walk, and then a homer to Joey Votto. He'd been pitching brilliantly until that homer, and then he just hung one. Votto went down, got it, and smashed it. Uh, well, I shouldn't say smashed it because it, it really did, didn't, uh, barely just kind of made it over. But uh, it, was a good, it was a good scoop by Votto to, to get that homer there. Both guys pitched well, but I know you were focused on the guy in the Reds uniform. Tell me what you saw from your boy, Anthony Descofani, today. Well, I tweeted this out, but I think it's worth repeating. Descofani threw 12 changeups today, and they continue to have two inches more fade, but they also had one and a half inches more drop than average. So by movement, he's, he's above average. By velocity gap, he's about average. So I wouldn't say that the changeup is necessarily a plus-plus pitch or anything. But um, I do think his slider is very good. His fastball, his commander are all there. Today, most of it was there. Um, you know, he did hit Josh Harrison. And uh, he did allow Pedro Alvarez that 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 one homer. So, I, I you know, I am a little worried that the homer thing is going to continue to be an issue. But I, 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 I still think the homer run predictions are over. And as Ted Lilly taught us, if you keep the walks down and you have something to keep guys on both sides of the plate 
you know, nervous, mm -hmm. then you can give up homers every once in a while. Exactly. So there are valuable pitchers out there that give up a homer per nine, and Disclafani just might be one of those guys. Exactly, and you know, I love, I love uh, that you invoked the name of Ted Lilly with that because it's a perfect kind of guy. So you, you might not love the ERA because sometimes when the homers go haywire and they've got a guy or two on base, that's when you get in your trouble. But in the good years when Ted Lilly was allowing solo shots, uh, he was a great asset. And the fact is, even after those good years, his price would never rise. That's what I really liked about him. Even when he showed that he was good, it seemed like the collective fantasy community, everyone knew what we were getting here. And, you know, even the years then, and by the way, for those of you who just started playing fantasy baseball, these ERAs might not sound good to you, but they used to be. So when he was putting up <laughs> these, these high three uh, ERAs, um, and which were good for 121 ERA plus, sorry, I'm on, I'm on B refs. So I don't have uh, the fit minus and all that right now, but uh, yeah, when he was putting up those numbers, it was great, but the community was not boosting his price way up. He was still very uh, fairly priced, underrated usually, and then you could bank on him for at least a good whip, especially late in his career, uh, at least a good whip. And then the ERA would kind of fluctuate based on the home run rate. So if Descofani is like that at least to start, we can deal with that. I mean, it, it, and his kind of ERA of, of okayness will, will probably be, you know, will be what Ted Lilly's great ERAs used to be. So like a 383 uh, would be something that, you know, we could live with from Descofani if he had a great whip to go with it and the strikeouts especially. But uh, I think he's going to have years where he, where he can be even better than that. So I liked him. I liked A.J. Burnett proving, probably going to prove every start that he makes this year that he never should have left Pittsburgh at all. <laughs> <laughs> I think he's going to be pretty solid this year. He never should have left. But, uh, you know, he's back there and looked pretty good, like I said, outside of the, the Votto homer. Out in Oakland, it was a rough, rough, rough debut for Kendall Graveman. The ground ball specialist showed what can happen when it, when it goes wrong. Uh, with with these kinds of kinds of guys, although he, he first off he wasn't getting the ground ball, so it's not like these were all uh, base knocks that were uh, skittering through the infield. He was five for five and five with ground balls and fly balls, but he goes three and a third, seven hits, eight runs, seven of them earned, one walk, one strikeout, two bombs. It was rough. Texas unloaded, showed a little punch after a couple, uh, you know of rough days there against Casimir and, and Sonny Gray and even Jesse Hahn. I think they didn't really kill him. I mean, they won that game, but this was an explosion for them and they took it out on Graveman. Yeah. You know, I think that Graveman, you know, versus Bauer is a, is an exercise in, in learning about pitching in, in a way because Bauer today took a no hitter, you know, into the six or something before he left, but he had five walks yeah. um, where, you know, Graveman only walked one but guy. He was murdered. But he was murdered. He only struck out one he guy. He was put down. He, gave up, he was put down. They gave up, he gave up a home run to uh, Moreland and to Chu and uh, just, just let them go nuts. And this is why I think I just feel more comfortable, you know. So swinging strikes are correlated better year to year than called strikes. Uh, and so I think that is the basis for my pitching philosophy actually in okay a way. which is that because swing strikes depend on nothing but the pitcher and the batter sure. and called strikes depend on the pitcher the batter the and umpire the and the and the catcher and that's a good point are, and have something to do with command 
which is much more nebulous than stuff. I feel like stuff is, A, stuff is easier to see when you mm -hmm. watch, and then stuff is easier to see in the numbers, and then stuff is stickier year to year, then command, which is harder to see in the numbers, includes more people, and um, is uh, hard, is is not a sticky year to year. No, that, that, that's, so, a, that's a great point, because we've been discussing this. You know, We discussed it with regards to like Vance Worley and, and the college strikes, and yes, the cold yeah. strike is great because uh, there's no bad result that can come from it, but continuing to execute it is the major difference there. So I think that's that's a great point, and that's why swinging strikes are still king. I mean, they, they really are. Yes, something could go wrong. They can make contact. But, um, yeah, if you, if you can only prove – or if you can only really keep one year to year uh, – it's going to be swinging strikes. I, I think that they're going to be more uh, provable to, as, as part of your arsenal because of your stuff. So that, that, that's a great point. You know, like we said, we were debating that, and I mentioned, you know, hey, called strikes, nothing bad can happen. But you're right. Can you always get them? Whereas we've seen washed-up relievers who still have some dirty stuff, but they can't command it anymore, that when they're on, it's like, yep, stuff can still get swings and misses even, even when you're not right. even on necessarily. You know, I think Wheeler's first year – is the counterexample where like this guy obviously had great stuff, but you know, without any command, it just wasn't working. Remember, you know, Wheeler's sort of debut year. He just, he wasn't even getting really good whiffs on his pitches. So, you know, despite the fact that he had stuff, he wasn't getting the whiffs because he wasn't putting himself in the position to be able to throw those pitches for whiffs. And he wasn't putting them in the right place to get swings, to get whiffs. So, it's it's obviously not as simple as this, but if you look at someone say like Bauer or Graveman, I think Bauer and Graveman were at somewhat similar levels. Oh no, absolutely! Um, By the time draft season w was in in the fever pitch there in, in the second half of March, I'd say they absolutely were because people were understanding that Graveman was going to have uh, a, a rotation spot and they're getting hyped on him. I think he had a big spring too. So for people that get a little bit more influenced by the spring numbers, I think that brought them pretty close, especially because there's a, a substantial chunk of the fantasy community that is just completely out on Bauer. So I think those two factors had their draft values pretty close. I'd be surprised if they, if there was a wide disparity there. Let me see. I actually, for my last update, oh, I don't know that I necessarily had the, um, you know, I didn't have the NFBC for Graveman. Let's think. see here. Uh, oh, he's going to be listed under RPs, I think. Oh, that's why I didn't have yep. it. Yep. So let me point that out. So he was um, uh, pick three. Hang on. I know this is great to hear me look up. So, oh, no. That, so there was a bit of a disparity here. He was picked 390, and uh, Bauer was picked 298. Oh, so they're about 100 okay. points apart, at least at the, at whatever the last NFBC update was. I don't know how many drafts that includes. Yeah, well, I, I had uh, in my update, yeah, Bauer was 322 uh, at NFBC. But I had Bauer at um, – in the low 60, I think 68, 69, mm -hmm. 69. Nice. <laughs> and then I had, <laughs> um, I had, uh, uh, Graveman 93. The, the reason that I had that disparity, even though there was a, a decent amount of, of love for both was just the fact that I had confidence that Bauer at the very least had a very good curveball and a very good slider and a very good fastball and could get whips. I I wasn't sure. I thought maybe that his work with Kyle Bodie at Driveline Mechanics and then uh, Driveline Baseball and that that um, uh, that they worked on his command all offseason. That his that his lower walk numbers in the in the spring 
um, might be somewhat indicative of, of a change that they that they managed to bring about. Um, but I did I don't bank on that. What I banked on was that he has a curve, a slider, and a fastball to get whiffs. He has good velocity, whereas Graven does not have the velocity and does not have the proven ability to get whipped. I think you're, I think you're uh, just taking the long route to say what we both know is already true about both of us. We're strikeout whores. Quite plain and simple. I mean, yeah. I'll admit it. And that, that, that is the disparity between them. And that's why I have a uh, pretty big split between them in, in my tiers is that even though I was hyped on Graveman, I'm taking Bauer 10 out of 10 times ahead of him. because. Uh, but you can't, can't poo-poo command in strikeouts is what I'm saying. It's like Wheeler – couldn't get the strikeouts when he didn't have the command to even be able to do that. He's like Shoemaker in the, in the years in the minors when he didn't have great command, he couldn't get the strikeouts, you know? So it's like, you know, command is definitely a part no of it. No doubt. It's, it's just that on another level, it's just it's just hard to – you can't measure command. And you can't see no, it. No, because it can, it can, vary, from, really hard it can vary from inning to inning. I mean, it can change within a batter. That, that, that's, yeah, I mean, like I like – you see Shelby Miller. Shelby Miller was sitting 95 yesterday, and, and that meant he hit 96, 97. He was already top 12 uh, starting pitching velocity at 94 last year. So if he can keep up 95, uh, and velocity's peak in August, so there's a, there's a distinct possibility that he's got a little bit more velocity this year. Uh, if, he, if he's got 95 mile an hour velocity, he had 80 mile an hour velocity on the curve, which is three miles an hour more than last year. So... Uh, he's got he, he's got the the fastball on the curve, and he maybe has the curve back in terms of how hard he's throwing it. He's had a proven ability to throw um, to 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 get strikeouts. Uh, he's got a good cutter. And then yesterday, I watched like three innings of him against the Marlins. One inning, I was like, oh man, his command is back. Shelby Miller, Shelby Miller time, and I was like, getting ready to 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 do some sort of tweet about it. And then I watched another inning, and Stanton got up there, and oh man, he overthrew. I mean, he threw about three feet over the strike zone two times. Weird in a row. how the batter can change change your approach yeah, right. so much there. Totally scared. He was totally scared. But you know, just in you know in, in you know command is something that you that there, there's some innate level of command, and then there's some command like Graveman today. He probably has better command than he even showed today, but he was probably, you know, it was his first time yeah, out there. Yeah, exactly. I mean, he, he still had the control. So, he could hit the zone like no other today, but putting the pitches where he wanted proved to be more difficult. Uh, and so, you yeah. know, like, like I said, I'm not completely out on him now. Absolutely not. It, it's a rough start, and if you if you had him in there for it, it's it's really tough. He's gonna It's going to take a lot to work that off. But, you know, I had him as a bench guy in a couple spots, so it didn't hurt me. Got him starting in a couple others, though. That's all right. You roll. You roll with it. You know. You know the kind of downside that you can get with some of these guys that do pitch contact. Sometimes the contact can be devastating. But he he can, he can live off of this. You know the the oh. best part about when oh. these things happen to guys that I do like is that it takes mm-hmm. a long time to work it off so that you can still even if they go out and put up three good starts in a row and then a couple iffy ones by the time April is done the ERA even if they're good for for their six starts uh, is still pretty dang high. And so you can kind of use that at times to maybe get a better price than, than you normally would have. That's one thing I like about a guy I like getting his clock cleaned in his first start of the season. That's the only thing I like. That's, <laughs> I shouldn't say the one thing as if there's a list. That's the only thing I like. Uh, the, uh, the other thing I would say about today that just occurred to me while you were talking was that um, it was warm and daytime it was amazing. in Oakland. It, yeah, it looked great. It looked great. And then Oakland 
Oakland versus uh, Oakland a day versus night. Uh, San Diego versus day versus night. I, t- I was talking to a person that worked for the Padres about this, and he was like, "Yeah, it's two different parks. You know, it's it's not even the same thing." So right now the um, the Giants are playing the Padres see some in San Diego. Yeah, for for offensive reasons. You think, so, you think we could see some uh, offense then tonight? That'd be great. I don't know. It's interesting. I mean, it's the second inning, and they're they're not really. I, I don't know what the temperature that, is. Yeah. It looks it sunny, great. It but um, I knew I knew I knew the temperature a little better for the Oakland game, and it was a nice day, and that had something to do with Odor and and Chu hitting it out. So, um, you know, night game in in Oakland. Graveman might still be a good DFS play. It might might be still be uh, a good streamer, and, and you know just because that the first one didn't work out. Um, in fact, you know you've convinced me. I might go and see in labor if because uh, right now I'm looking for a starter. And you know, if, I, if I can get him for a reserve or something, I, think might, I mean you just might be able to. He's not that well known. And if somebody got him, maybe on the recommendation of somebody else, uh, or they, you know, they just saw a name, they knew he was a starter. If if it's somebody that's one of their pet guys, you're probably not going to be able to draw the discount. But any other situation, I feel like some, you know, they might be inclined to say, eh, I'll take a little bit less than I normally would. If I'm not saying you're going to steal him, especially in that draft, you know, you you know that in that league, but you might be able to get a better price than you thought because. That that one's gonna really sting some people, and they may oh this guy might not be ready for prime time. And I don't think that that's an indication uh, that that this start is an indication that Graveman isn't. I think prime time you know was probably a lot to handle today, his first major league start uh, in opening week for his brand new club, and you know he didn't pitch well. It, it ain't the end of the world as far as I'm concerned. All right, yeah. now we're gonna play uh, a, a game here, so so to speak, and we're gonna we're gonna finish up with this, and it's just called stash or trash. Uh, it has nothing to do with mustaches. It's just a matter of what, what this is. These are these are guys who are largely available uh, pretty much across uh, the mixed league universe uh, in a lot of different leagues. You know, not going to be 100 percent availability, but, but pretty close. But they've made an impact early on and it might be changing your tune on how you would deal with them. So just going to ask you if you're going to stash them or trash them. Because if you're stash, you know if you're going to roster these guys, you're probably not in, inserting them into your lineup. And if they're in a, if they're in the starting lineup of a league, it's obviously a super deep one to begin with. That's why we're talking about just stashing them on a reserve. So we're going to start with Colby Lewis, who uh, pitched very well against the aforementioned Oakland A's uh, in a night game, mind you. But six uh, six innings, one earned run with a W. You know, not going to be a huge strikeout guy at all. More more of a low walk guy, pitched to contact, but was pretty sharp in his first start. Are you stashing him or are you trashing Kobe Lewis? He, you know, he's, he's, uh, he's just fastball slider. I mean, there's, there's, there's nothing else going on there. And, you know, he was in Oakland and that one was a night yes. game. Um, so, in those situations, I like him because, you know, the, the, his weakness against lefties is, is tamped down. And I think that somewhat has something to do with Oakland's fascination with these curveball guys that have bad change-ups, Pomerantz, Han, Gray. I think that at least at home, you know, if a lefty gets a hold of something— Why not go anywhere? Um, why not go anywhere? So I like Lewis as— um, even in deep leagues, I, I wouldn't start him. Like I, AL labor is a weekly league, and, and and it's very hard 
you have to play everybody basically. Yes. And you can't it's almost it's very hard to put someone on your bench. In that situation, I don't think I would like Lewis because there's gonna be some weeks where, you know, you gotta put Lewis in your lineup and he's sitting there and he's got two starts at home, two day starts at home against, you know, Detroit and you know, Chicago. Or, you know, yeah, or that would be brutal. Just be like, ah, no, Yeah, that would please, not don't. work out. Yeah, I mean. But in these situations, Oakland at night, you know, yeah, I like it. Okay, yeah, so you, you could stream them in some, in some situations, but I still think that for me it's a trash because um, I just don't think those situations are going to be uh, very prevalent. Uh, you know, there aren't going to be too many. He's not as scary at home anymore because that park is playing a lot more neutral than usual, but he's still a home run guy anyway. So all he did was exacerbate the park effect. But even in a neutral park, I don't think he's he's so great. So for me, Colby Lewis, I have a hard time really buying it. I know he's put up some decent seasons, uh, you know, 2010, 2012 were both pretty good and even 2011 was was okay from a from a, a league wide standpoint he was about average but not for fantasy 440 ERA and in in year long leagues one thing to think about is that he's you know he might be replaceable i mean i, I know that our depth charts have nick nick martinez and and detweiler or detweiler detweiler i just say detweiler detweiler by the way martinez was <laughs> uh, was great today I think Martinez has shown enough. I might actually move him up. So I think it would be Dead Twiler and Lewis in the four or five slots. And you got Martin Perez coming yep. back. Matt Harrison is is injured. Uh, Nick Depesh is there. They've got Juan Rodriguez. Uh, and then they are also uh, Anthony Ronaldo. And then they're also, you know, everyone talks about them acquiring a guy. And if you get like Hamels and you like, you push Hamels at the top, you push Holland and Gallardo down. One of those guys is going out. Definitely. And so I don't, you know, I don't, we have Lewis for 156 innings. I'll take the under. I mean, yeah, I don't, I don't think that I, I'm really, like I said, I'm just not that interested in him really at all. Yeah. Um, it, it's, it's too hard for me to find situations where I'm terribly eager to, to utilize Colby Lewis. Now, the next guy, yeah. uh, Honestly, I don't know that I feel too different to spoil my, my, my feeling. C.J. Wilson, eight, in, eight shutout innings, uh, two hits against Seattle, but just two strikeouts. He got the W. You know, a great effort against Seattle. I, okay, I, 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 overs, I oversold it when I said I feel the same way as I do about uh, Kobe Lewis as I do about uh, C.J. Wilson. But I, I'm, I'm not that sold. But I, what about you? Are you going to stash or trash Mr. Kobe Lewis? Or, I mean, well, you know, at least, excuse me, I said the wrong yeah, yeah. At least that, um, at least that, uh, you know, his home park is is uh, is <laughs> one where you can use him. That's more true. Often, so, um, and then you know the 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 the, the matchup that he had, um, the uh, the the Mariners there, they're kind of a, a little bit of a different team um, this year. Uh, but you know, as a lefty, you know, uh, you know, facing the angels, uh, well, they, they, they've got some I mean, facing the big lefty bats. That's the problem is some of their best they bats were, are left-handers. Right. And they went and got Nelson Cruz to, to do something about this. But last year, the Mariners had an 82, uh, rate of runs created plus against, uh, against lefties. And that was the worst in the big leagues other than the Padres. So, um, you know, if you put Nelson Cruz on that team, maybe you make them 25th, mm-hmm. you know, 
or or you know so there they that was a good matchup for CJ Wilson is what I'm saying um, and it's probably easier to find good matchups for CJ Wilson because he's at least got a good matchup at home and he's in the the in, uh, the ALS so he might end up uh, in Seattle or Oakland otherwise so there, you know there's there's some good places to use CJ Wilson that's a good point uh, he also hasn't had the same problems with the home run because he's more of a ground ball guy. He hasn't had the same problems with the home run. Um, and then, the, you know, one thing about CJ Wilson that happens is he has good command years and bad command years. And in the good command years, um, you know, he places, he, he places the ball well enough to have a, a usable whip, which uh, I think would probably be for the, a good usable whip from this year would probably be a one, three or a one, two, eight or something. Um, but that's over the course of some good and bad starts. I think, you know, you could probably use him in some good starts where you got like a three, six ERA, a one, two, five whip, um, you know, and, uh, you know, seven K nine out of him in his good starts. And you avoided the ones where, you know, righties took him, you know, at least for double. No, no, yeah. that, that, that's fair. There, there, you can definitely carve out a more useful spot for C.J. Wilson than you can Lewis. That's why I want to back off saying that I, f- I feel similarly about them. That, that's not true. But I'm not going to be looking to make the carvings necessary to, to cultivate that C.J. Wilson value because I feel like I can get it elsewhere much more easily. That, that I guess that's it. I don't want to do the work for it yeah, because not, the payoff yeah, isn't not, enough. Yeah, there's not really – your wire, I mean, he's a streamable yeah. guy. Your wire doesn't, your wire doesn't, your wire has other guys like him on it. And uh, most likely, and he's not someone, you, you really have to get into an AL only. Actually, you know, I, I'm kicking myself a little bit. He's a decent AL only guy in the sort of Bud Norris fold, which is like, he's probably going to keep his job all year. He's going to log the and innings worst, for sure. Worst case scenario, he has like a four, two ERA and, you know, and, you know, you know, you shrug and you say, "Well, he, at least he didn't Ricky Rick, you know, Alaska." Yeah, he, did, he didn't murder you. That that kind of gives you that uh, a, a base of some innings. Points leagues going to be a similar situation where just getting volume alone can really keep you as a decent scorer. He's going to have those weeks where he really helps you, and you just hope that those duds don't come in the playoffs if you're utilizing him in a head-to-head points league. Uh, next up is an, another guy who's you know. Just probably not very largely owned. I guess I, I, that, that's everyone in this exercise. So that's kind of stupid to say. But it's Aaron Harang. He went out through six and a third scoreless against the Boston Red Sox. Two hits, eight strikeouts. He was great. Now, Harang got off to a pretty amazing start last year, too, uh, and ended up having a pretty, pretty good season overall. He was carrying a sub three ERA through his first nine starts. And even though he, you know, he had kind of a, a what most would probably say was an inevitable backslide. He still ended up uh, with a 3.57 ERA by season's end. So even over the course of those final 24 starts, he only had a 3.78 ERA. So the backslide really wasn't that massive that you couldn't keep him all year. So Aaron Harang flat out had a good season last year, 204 innings in a third, but he got no love this year. Of course, everyone laughed when Philly signed him, understandably. Uh, but you know they got to fill the innings this year. Is this somebody who, again, could deliver a decent season? Uh, I think maybe, incidentally, I've put these guys in inverse order of talent, maybe, from Lewis to Wilson to Harang in terms of how much you could cultivate out of them uh, if you stream them. But are you stashing or trashing on Aaron Harang? 
Well, let's see here. He, he, one of the things he did last year was that he, he threw the cutter more than ever. Um, I mean, if I'm, if I'm looking at, you know, things that I'm looking at sort of, there's just the pitch effect stuff. Absolutely. Um, you know, slider cutter, whatever, he, he, you know, actually that's, uh, that's an interesting thing. The pitch effect says he threw the cutter more than ever. Um, the, uh, that's the BIS says he, t- he threw the cutter more than ever. And that holds true even if you add it to the slider um, and you just do slider plus clutter percentage, then he has a 30% number there or, or 29.5. That's um, way more than he's ever done. But if you go down to pitch FX, um, he had an 18% slider usage just like the same as ever. Um, the fastball usage was a little bit more four-seam heavy. Yeah. That would be a big difference there um, if you believe pitch FX. But – I, I would believe, you know, knowing what I know about the research I've done about pitchers, which is that old pitchers throw junk more often. Um, and what I'm seeing about his first start in uh, this year is he threw the four seam 16% of the time, threw the sinker 9% of the time, threw the slider 10% of the time, threw the cutter 5% of the time, and the cutter, uh, the, the curve 5% of the time, and the cutter 9% of the time. So basically, you don't know what pitch is coming from. <laughs> he has got this uh, – Harang is working with a Swiss Army knife out there, and it's up to you to figure it out. He's He is a – Otherwise known as the sink. What's that? Yeah, the kitchen sink is coming straight Otherwise at you. Sink. Yeah, but um, it, it's still it's still got a weakness against lefties because, you know, his curve isn't big no. um, or it isn't good enough. It, it's a slow curve, so lefties can just, you know, not swing at it. And uh, his command isn't otherworldly enough that it's going to work otherwise. Uh, I will probably put him ahead. I would put him ahead of uh, Colby Lewis because all these guys are ahead of Colby Lewis. I wonder, uh, C.J. Wilson versus him, it's interesting because C.J. Wilson, is the floor is way higher because he's got a 50% ground ball rate or whatever most years. And, you know, he's not going to blow up a lot. And Aaron Harang is no longer in Atlanta. He's in Philadelphia. That's true. That's a good point. Uh, you know, in 2013, he gave up 1.6 homers well, per nine. And if you look, yeah, and if you look over the, the history of his career, he's good the years where he gives up, you know, 0. 0.7 or so homers per nine. And he's bad the years he gives up, you know, 1.25 homers so or more. basically all on his homers, and he's going to a homer park. I think the, the line you're drawing here is the right one. Yeah. Um, and, and you know what, that, that, that – tidbit alone sells me to go back to putting Wilson ahead, but I'm, but I, I, I am still intrigued by harangue in the right spots. I'm more eager to use him than Wilson, but on, on overall base value from where they are, if I got to use them both for the rest of the year, I would go Wilson, but if yeah. I can pick and choose and keep harangue out of those home run parks, I know he's going to have some good outings in home run parks like he did in this first outing against Boston. But I think if I can pick harangue uh-huh. in the non Homer spots, that's who I'm going to take. Home runs are way down in the early season, so so, so definitely I mean, runs, use them early. Yeah, the number one thing that that um, the number one thing that affects homers is even more than park dimension is is temperature. So um, yeah, I think these homer risky guys, there you want to use them a little bit more early in the season, a little bit less later in the season. So maybe maybe harangue early uh, and and Wilson Good later. Good call. And then we got so we got three hitters now too. We're gonna shift over to hitters. First guy is Jake Lamb. 
he had some buzz. Uh, again, probably late in draft season is when I think the buzz was really clicking in as more, more and more folks were down on Yasmani Tomas with good reason. We went and saw him. We were, we were among that chorus. Uh, the Jake Lamb hype really started to build up. He's got seven RBIs and just nine plate appearances. Had to be a pinch hitter the first night because they were facing a lefty. Comes out uh, in the second game, hits a home run against uh, a right-hander. I believe that was Vogel's song that was pitching. But Jake Lamb on fire quickly. Are you stashing or, or trashing Jake Lamb? I like him. Okay. I actually like him. I like him. Do you know what? I like uh, Brandon Drury. Um, but what I think is going to happen with Brandon Drury, who is the, who is the uh, the prospect, the probably the best infield prospect, the not you know not shortstop infield prospect that's coming up. I think that what's going to happen is um, they're going to decide they don't want two shortstops up the middle. Okay. Uh, in 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 Arizona, because I think that basically they're two shortstop bats. As much as Owings might have a better bat than Ahmed, he doesn't really have a great bat for second no base. No doubt. So. So at some point they're going to decide, you know, either Ahmed's bat is too bad for shortstop and he's more of the backup guy, or um, Owings' glove is not good enough for shortstop and he's a backup guy. So um, they're going to decide something there, and I think Drury's going to take second. Uh, so I think that that actually leaves Lamb, um, you know, to possibly hold on to that and. You know, I know he didn't have a great debut last year, struck out a lot, but at least he showed some power. He showed league average power. I think he has much more power than that, um, you know, based on his minor league career. And the question is, is, is strikeout rate, but I think that the strikeout rate was always worse against uh, lefties. So if they did make him a, a true platoon guy, and they can, I think they can do that with some of their personnel that they have there, um, then I think you'll see his strikeout rate look better. Um, as it goes forward, just because he's avoiding lefties. Sure. And uh, and then, you know, if he can strike out, you know, 22 to 24% of the time, I really think he could hit 250 uh, with 20 homer type power. And uh, and I'm not sure he'll make it all the way to date, you know, 12 team leagues. And, you know, one of our, one of our uh, uh, critiques I've seen is that we, we delve too deep, too deep. Uh, yes, I don't think he's necessarily a great mixed league guy now or in the okay. future, but uh, he might be an interesting uh, guy to kind of try and get in your in your daily deeper daily leagues because he's in the right park for it. Tomas is not a third baseman, and uh, Drury's a little far off and can be a second baseman. Well, so I think there's some some daylight if there. If we go him. too deep, then people are hating this segment. The people who think we go too deep are hating this segment. Uh, sorry, folks. We got, we got two more. Uh, Jose Iglesias, you know, pretty much missed the entire season. Last, in fact, he did actually. He flat out missed the entire season last year with shin injury. Um, you know, the big the big issue for the Tigers that they were so bummed about was that they're going to miss his defense. Anything that he gives with the bat is a benefit. But so far, he has been absolutely on fire. Not including today's game because when I put this together didn't look like there was a chance that today's game was even going to get played, but he's six for seven on the season, eight fifty-seven with two stolen bases. He had a pretty good season in 2013. I think it was kind of Babbitt fieldy at three thirty with, with Boston, but just two fifty-nine with the Tigers. Do you think he can be, you know, batting average asset? Let's just leave it at that batting average stolen base asset. Do you think he could be one? I mean, do I think, 
he could be like an Eric Ibar? Yeah. Oh, actually, I shouldn't even be asking you a random question. I should just be asking, are you stashing him? Are you trashing him? Well, right. I mean, um, I don't really have a league where I need him because you know I have I have Bogarts in a as a late shortstop in a couple leagues where it's OPS, and I don't think that. Iglesias is any is going to be any better in OPS because he's not going to have any power long term. Um, but in like sort of a batting average steals league, if I had Alcides Escobar and or Eric Ibar, if I had Eric Ibar, you know he'd be a good maybe uh, guy to put alongside Eric Ibar because either of them could Eric Ibar. That makes sense. Oh, that, yeah, yeah, that makes. I, I just like. If, if this really encourages me as a Tigers fan, obviously, because if he's running like this, I feel like he, that means he's healthy, and that means the defense is going to be there. I just want him out there playing that defense as often as possible. So, you know, I don't know why he has to hit. The, the projections have him hitting 260 or 255. I don't know why he has to hit like that. I mean, he's going to hit, you know, right now 86% on the ground, but he's going to hit 60% of his balls on the ground, and. You know, he could even make more contact than he made last year. I mean, the minors, there was some years were 10 and 11 percent. So, you know, if he can make contact at sort of an 11 percent, 12 percent rate and, you know, put 60 percent of his balls on the ground, he's going to have like a 320 Babbitt and most of his balls are going to be in play. I think he's going to hit, you know, 275, 280. Uh, his career, you know, is only 473 play appearances, but he hit 280. That, that so plays. I mean, that. Yeah. Honestly, you know, something in the 270s at shortstop, especially if he's going to be running like this. Uh, Healthy legs, 280 with 20 stolen bases. That plays at shortstop hardcore. So I, I don't yeah. know if I, it's tough to say I would stash him, though, unless I, I I would have to be desperate for the speed. If I just had kind of a balanced team, I like my club. I don't know that I'm necessarily stashing him because I don't think he's special. Uh, I think there are guys out there like him that you can find batting average types uh, with decent batting average, but but you're really just buying for some speed at a at a thin position. But I don't know that I would necessarily rush out to go get a Glacius unless you were just desperate for speed. So I'm going to say trash. Yeah. Uh, next. Oh, well, sorry. I, go ahead. Yeah, actually, yes, I, I, I would put a lamb ahead okay. of him. Yeah. Got the power. power. I will definitely be wanting to pay more for that than I would for something like an Iglesias. I agree with that. Um, the last guy we're going to do also has some power, also happens to be for, for the Tigers. Um, mixed bag on him in terms of what people thought during during drafts. Sometimes I would see guys, they were, he was their, their big target at catcher number two. Other guys are saying, I wouldn't touch him with a 10-foot pole, and it's Alex Avila. And he's off to a great start, three for four. That's you know not going crazy on that, but three walks. And then the bottom of that order, Jose Iglesias, obviously a big part of that. They've been killing it, so he's already scored five runs. So uh, mm -hmm. we haven't seen the power yet. I think that's the reason that people would draft him. But what do you think about Alex Avila in terms of a, a, a trash or stash situation if, you, if you're looking for some power behind the dish? OBP leagues, I like him, actually. Yeah, he's you a know, and walker. And on yeah, he's a big walker. And, you know, 330, he's projected now for 330 uh, for the rest of season and, and, and steamer and stuff. So, you know, and the worst he's done is a 317. So his career is 347 on base percentage. I mean, points leagues – on base percentage leagues, um, you know, and and then you know he had he's had he had a year with 19 homers, and that was 2011, and you know he's only 28 uh, this year, and that's seasonal 28. So 
Um, you know, I feel like he could really, he could really, you know, he could outdo these projections even and have another year where he has like a 340, 350 type on base percentage and hits 15 homers. And, you know, he's just in that scrum. He could be better than Derek Norris this year. He could. My, my biggest issue is the one that I, because I, I watch obviously every Tigers game, I just feel like. I don't know if it's because of my overexposure to the Tigers or not, but even when I'm watching other games, I just don't feel like any other catcher gets beat up as much as he does behind the dish. <laughs> Taking the foul balls, you know, the hard ones right off the mask, I feel like he gets a couple a game, and I know other catchers get beat up. There's no denying that, but I still feel like he, if you did like a beat-up rating based on, you know, foul balls that smash off your hand or off the, uh, off the mask, uh, you know, things like that, if you – tabulated all of them I still feel like he'd be up near the top of the league every year and that's just what worries me the Knicks the bumps the bruisers he's got I mean he's gotten concussions exactly yes and so that's why that's my biggest concern about him but if you're in a two catcher league I think I would consider stashing him uh because while he's healthy at least see what's up because we do still have that 2011 season and I know that that would be an everything works out perfectly and he stays healthy kind of season so I'm not saying that that's going to happen that's a very very scant percentage chance of happening 295 19 homers 82 ribbies for Alex Avila but more of a mid-teens homers with like a 260 average and then the big OBP as you mentioned that's plausible if Avila can stay healthy. So I, I worry about the health, but if you got some mediocre catcher two as it is right now, and you're not that enthralled by him, take a shot here. If if you got a pet guy that you really like that you think is going to break out, maybe like a Derek Norris that you're really excited about, or Yasmani Grandal, I say stick with them. So it's it's very contextual here on on this. This is a, a at least a partial stash uh, with Avila, but it would depend on your situation. But if you're considering him, you obviously have some sort of desire at catcher anyway, because you, there's no real need to carry three catchers unless you're already a little bit skeptical about your two guys that you have. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, none of these guys is a, you have to go get them, but. Um... You know, I think Avila and Iglesias are a little bit interesting. I think actually the hitters are all a little bit more interesting than the pitchers. I agree, and we've got one more because I also think he's interesting. So I want I want to get him in. It's it's uh, Angel Pagan, and I think he's going to be very much in the in the uh, Avila vein when we when we break it down because he's five for thirteen, hitting three eighty five, four doubles, three runs, been looking great so far. But I think it's going to be at least for me same situation. If I if I could believe that he would stay healthy. I'd be all over this guy because he's he, you know one of those catalyst guys up at the top of the lineup. I think he's been batting three some some nights, so he can maybe get more RBIs than we've ever seen him get. Uh, he he can hit for a little bit of pop here and there. You know, only has an 11 homer season on his ledger, but some sixes, sevens, eights. So you're not getting a total dud there. And then the speed and runs. I, I would love Pagan more if I could trust that he'd be healthy, but I can't trust that. So that's again where it leaves me with leaning toward the, the, the trash end of it unless I like really punted my last two outfield spots or my last outfield spot and I was just waiting for somebody to click that I could that I could go out and get because then he would fall back into the he's healthy right now go get him uh, so if you're if you're just trolling the wire trying to improve your team he's a trash but if you're in need he's a he's a stash for me uh, yeah you know I, I've been actually telling people, to maybe go get him. I mean, the, the the thing about him is that he's good when he's healthy, like you said. And, you know, what about Spawn? What about him versus Spawn? Damn. I mean, he's, gonna have, he's probably going to have a little bit more homers. Put me up against it. Uh, 
He's really he's playing now. That's the thing. So he's he's already healthy. So if I had right. that situation, you know, I think I'm, I think I might have to do it. Maybe you know, here's the I'm going to lay out a scenario, and I guess it's stupid to find it, you know, perfectly tailor a scenario. But I don't know that it's completely implausible. Basically, if I had Spawn, uh, he got hurt, and then I had another injury or two. So if he, if 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 yeah. Denard Spawn's my only injury. I say no. I'm sticking with him. I'm gonna. I invested here. But if I've got uh, several injuries, maybe one is to a high-profile pitch. I'm trying to think of who else it could even be. But like a Smiley Anna Cobb or something. If I if I was raised heavy on the pitching, I would want to keep those two pitchers. And if I only had two DL spots or something like that, then yes, then I would cut him. But if he was, if if Denard Span was my only injury, I would not trade him out for Angel Pagan. I would just stick with it. And I've and I've changed these names up. Within sentences, Denard Spawn to Denard Span and Angel Pagan to Angel Pagan. I'm all <laughs> over the map today. I can't wait for people to comment on that. They're going to love it. But if the back is healthy uh, for, for Pagan, I think, um, you know, I don't think that uh, a 280 batting average, 290 batting average, you know, five homers and 20 stolen bases. I mean, that's not out of the, out of the believability. And, you know. Uh, it looks like they'll have Arizona to beat up on everyone. Right? <laughs> I mean, you know, and if uh, if if San Francisco can't get their pitching staff ironed out, if it's only Bumgarner and and a group of nobodies, then uh, they're you're going to beat up on each other, and we're going to see a lot of those. I think one of those games was eight to seven. I think we could end up seeing a yeah. lot of those in that situation if San Francisco doesn't iron themselves out. But uh, yeah. You know, he's definitely a Pagan is definitely a usable option in a lot of scenarios here. It's just going to kind of Pagan and Lamb. Pagan and Lamb are the ones that they get the closest for me, um, because in daily leagues, you know, Pagan would be really easy. Uh, I know he's a switch hitter, but he's a very easy guy to have on your bench. And just you know, sometimes it's good to have a switch hitter to have behind. Like if you had Snyder and Pagan. Ooh. You know, I think there'd be a really good chance that you come out of the season with a 280 2020 yeah, guy. Yeah, that, that, that's because be nice. you get, you know, you get 20 homers out of Snyder against uh, when he's in there against righties, and then when he's against lefties, you just sort of sneak Pagan in there, and you know, you know, maybe maybe it's 280 2010, but you know, get 280 2010 for the price of Snyder and Pagan. That's almost mixed league stuff, type stuff. I mean, uh, if you have five outfielders and your fifth outfielder is Snyder Pagan, that, is, that, that, that sounds Yeah, that is me. a stud at that point. And Pagan, you know, it, it, it's fitting that he would be our highest rated guy out of here. He is the most most owned uh, at ESPN. He's 44%. So if he's almost half at ESPN, he's not going to be available in a ton of leagues. But the fact that he was still under half uh, helped him creep onto this list here as he's off to a good start. So when healthy, you got to get uh, Angel Pagan there. And there again, I changed it back from Angel to Angel. Anyway, you know, that's going to wrap us up. We had to do a take, too, so we're, we're coming up against it here on recording time. Um, we'll be back next Tuesday. A lot more to talk about. Samples will continue to thicken up. But until then, we will continue to make the best decisions that we can based on the small ones that we're dealt. Uh, so, you know, enjoy the rest of your day. Have another couple beers that the listeners sent you. And listen, listeners, he's going to drink those, so he's going to run out. you got to send him more. <laughs> just pick up the pace yeah. find him on twitter at eno saris get those beers out there he's got beer graphs <laughs> profiles to write and he's he can only write and them if he tastes these beers folks and in the meantime watch the whiffs watch the whiffs i agree i agree keep an eye on the whiffs we'll be back in a couple days take care <laughs>